You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Associate Minister Julie Blinker. Years back, I enrolled in a Try the Try program. A Try the Try, the, try, the try program is a six-week program that basically guarantees I, they could take me from couch to the finish line of a triathlon in six weeks. I committed to four different sessions, and in those sessions, we were taught training and skills, skills and training. So, for example, rather than just learning how to ride a bike, we were learning how to ride a bike against a headwind or how to, how to put the chain back on the bike, you know, those sorts of skills. Rather than just practicing swimming in the bay, we would practice swimming in the bay and making sure we don't swim any further than necessary between the buoy and the finish line. Um, there's photographic evidence of this, if you don't believe me. It was pretty comprehensive training, and yes, I was quite excited that I was there on the day. It's pretty comprehensive training, and we also learn about transition times. So the bike there was one of the transition times, and we were taught in, after you've come out of the ocean, what's the quickest time possible to get your wetsuit off, get your bike gear on, so that you can cut down in seconds in that transition time. So when it came to race day, it was pretty intimidating. There was a lot of iron men and iron women there for their big race, and then there was us beginners that were also there. It was rainy, it was wet, it was windy, there were waves in the bay. And at that time, I thought, and as my team thought as well, okay, this is pretty intimidating, there's a big crowd, let's just bring it down to what we've learned in our training. Let's just apply what we've learned for the swimming, for the transition, for the cycling, for the transition, for the running, for the finish line. And so we did, and it helped, and I'll come back to that. On Sunday nights, we've been journeying through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians in Philippi. Paul is a follower of Jesus who wrote many letters of the New Testament. He had a unique task of bringing the gospel of Jesus to the non-Jewish people of the world, so the the, the Gentiles, so that's most of us. And you may remember some of the key ideas so far. He's talked about joy as a way of life, even from a prison cell. He's talked about living all for Jesus, having the mind of Jesus, working out our salvation with rejoicing. And then last week, hoping in anything um, is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. So he, he made that comparison there. And this week, he's looking at pressing on to the finish. It's nearing the end of this letter. And he writes with a real earnestness, I can imagine him sitting there with his pen or his quill and just writing to these people he cares about so deeply in Philippi, saying, here's the tips that I personally have used to press on to the finish line. I recommend them for you. And so personally, I challenge you guys to get your pens, get your paper, you know, use your devices and anticipate that some of this is going to speak to you and is going to be relevant. I challenge you to find one or two things that you can take and apply this week. So, let's start from the beginning. It was really important for me to finish that fin- like to cross that finish line in the triathlon, not so much for a trophy or a sermon analogy, though that is handy tonight, um, but particularly I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. I'd been unwell for about six months and 
had found it really painful to walk quickly, let alone run. And so one of those days that I'd been unwell, I thought, maybe one day I'll be well enough to walk, to run. Gosh, maybe one day I could even do a triathlon. And the idea kind of seemed so out there that it just stuck and it kind of began to grow and grow in my mind. It was quite consuming. When we look at the Apostle Paul, his motivation was also consuming. He was propelled forward towards his ultimate goal. Now, that wasn't to get a trophy. It wasn't to get a picture at the end of it. His ultimate goal was more of Jesus. He wanted to know more of Jesus. He wanted to walk close with Jesus. He wanted to have that relationship with him. And so I'm going to leave this here as I'm speaking for you to remember that's the goal that Paul was looking towards. That's the goal he was working towards, his ultimate prize. You might remember Kirk challenged us last week and said, if you could have more of Jesus or anything else, essentially, what would you choose? And again and again, we saw Paul choosing more of Jesus. I want Jesus. He's my number one priority. And Paul walked in that abundant life which came from knowing him. This wasn't some intellectual understanding or some ethereal concept, you know, knowing Jesus. This was an experiential thing, every day walking in a living daily relationship with Jesus Christ. And it was so worthwhile. It's what motivated him to finish his race well. So he says in verse 13, forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. Successful triathletes will tell you part of the key to finishing well is to not sort of stop and dwell in the middle on how you're going. So that would be like me in the, the second leg, in the bike leg, going, Danielle, you were in the crowd today. Did you see me swim? Like, did you take any photos? Can I, can I see the photos that you've taken? Like, it'd be silly to do that, right? Danielle would probably be going, Julie, keep going, you haven't finished yet. Now's not the time to sort of stop and revel in your glory, or the glory of the swim. On the other hand, maybe I didn't do so well in the swim. This is just made up, but maybe I tripped. Maybe someone tripped me at the starting line, and it caused me to kind of get some gravel rash as I was running in. What could happen is that I'm, I'm just spend the whole race. I can't believe that person tripped me. Like, how unsportsman, how unfair. Where is that person? I'm going I'm to find them. I'm going to find them. I'm going to talk to them. And I'm getting all wet, tensed up about the person that tripped me rather than focusing on breathing, good posture, focus in front of me of the leg that I'm in right now. Now, both of these examples, you'd probably say, well, yeah, of course you wouldn't do that. That's pretty common sense. And yet, sometimes we live life like that. We live life looking backwards rather than looking forwards. As an example, maybe relationships are something you think backwards on. Maybe you find yourself going, oh, that person, if only I'd said something differently, if only I'd done it like this, if only I'd said that, maybe she meant that. Oh, maybe he meant that. And we torment ourselves over something that's happened in the past. Maybe when we see something or smell something, we remember that circumstance and we're taken back straight away into that circumstance that, that weighs on our heart. Maybe it's not relationships, but a season in life. Ah, oh, 
wasn't it good when I was back in school? Oh, wasn't it good in that other church I was a part of? Oh, wasn't it good when I first became a Christian? Like, I was seeing miracles all the time then. I haven't seen a miracle in ages. We can often look backwards to some season, something that happened, and kind of get caught up there. And the problem with that is that, I flip it around, is God any different then to how he is now? No, God's still the same. God still is so powerful then as he is now. He's still so willing and ready to move in your life then as he is now. He still has excitement and wonder, power and willing to move on your behalf then and now. By looking backwards all the time or thinking back to what was, we often miss out on what he's doing right here, right now, and being able to strain towards that goal of knowing Jesus. What's more, God can take what we see as our biggest mistake, that if only part of our life, he can take that and use it. He can take our mistakes, he can take the things that didn't work well, and he can make them into a trophy of grace, meaning something that shows off him in our life, something that is so much better than what it could have initially been because of the work of Jesus in our life. That's what he does. Paul teaches, forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. He is calling us higher. He's calling us closer to him. And I've found that this often works by us saying yes to him. Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, I'll do that. And sometimes yeses are instant. Yeah, okay, I can help out there. I can do that. Sometimes they take a little bit more surrendering of ourselves and yielding and trusting. There might be a bit more of a wrestle before we can say yes, but ultimately saying yes to Jesus makes more room in our life for him to inhabit and live and bring that abundant life into. So thankfully, the Apostle Paul doesn't leave us in the lurch. He doesn't kind of go, it's all right, guys, just forget what's behind, strive towards what's ahead, easy, next tip. No, he realizes this is a pretty big and a pretty key thing, and he gives us some training tips I'm going to look at three of them tonight. Training tip number one, verse 17. Look to those who have gone before. Verse 17 says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. My least favourite training session was Wednesday morning, 6am, Botanical Gardens, Yeah, every morning. And I must admit, I never grew to like it. I grumbled and complained the whole time. 6 a.m. was a horrible time to meet in the city to go running. There was no motivation at all. But then I discovered as I made friends with the running group that no one really liked it, but they had little strategies to make it easier for them. And I started learning from their strategies. One person said, well, Julie, you could always sleep in your running gear, like that cuts out some sleeping time. Or you can just put your running gear next to your bed so you kind of literally roll into it when you get out of bed. Another one said you could just choose to turn up. Basically, you turn up regardless, and once you get there, if you really don't want to be there, then go home again. But don't make the decision when you're at home and warm and snug. Another one said, talked about rewards. Reward yourself with a morning coffee as you watch the sunrise. That was probably my favourite incentive 
Paul, too, is really practical. He knows the alternatives. He knows what we could be running towards. And so he's saying, run towards Jesus. Run towards knowing him more. But what are the alternatives? The alternatives are we could be sort of trying to run back into some season that we used to have, trying to run back to this and sort of feeling out of place because it's no longer who we are. It's no longer what God's got for us. It could be, obviously, we're in church now, but in the middle of the week, we hang out with different groups of friends. Maybe some of those friends are on a completely different track. They're not knowing or following Jesus at all. God doesn't rate in their world. And so when you go into that crowd... If you start comparing your life with what they're doing, it's quite easy to feel discontent or far out. Have I lost my mind? Why haven't I done this, done that, done this with my life? And Jesus sort of showed, has shown me in the past about that and saying, it's because I'm not calling you to the same race, Julie. I'm calling you to know me more. So of course your life's going to look different to people that don't know me. It's not even a good place to look and compare yourself. Like, focus on others that are running towards me and be motivated and inspired by them. So he says, look around at those who are running the same race as you. And we've got a really good opportunity there because here we all are, a group of people every Sunday night who gather together because we want to know more of Jesus. So I'd encourage you in the eating time, in the supper time afterwards. Take a look around. Maybe there's people, like things that you're going into in your life that you could glean from others. For example, I used to do pre-marriage prep with people and I'd say, look for a couple that you really admire their relationship and their walk with Jesus and sort of glean a bit from them. Go, hey, this is new. Can you help us a bit? Like, where we're going through this, or we want to learn about that, or can you just give us some tips? We really like what your relationship looks like, and we're kind of wanting to learn a bit about what you found works. Perhaps you're a Christian business person, and you're navigating Christian ethics in a world gone mad. There might not be anyone else in the same industry as you, but surely in a crowd this large, you'll find someone else who's wrestled with similar thinking in their line of work. Why don't you strike up a conversation with them? Ask them how it is. Ask them to share a bit about how they've navigated a walk of faith in God in that environment. As someone who's not married, I've found often, I love reading biographies of people that have gone out as singles and Usually they're missionaries, but they've gone into nations and they, their faith has kind of um, reached, well, they work, but their faith in God has allowed them to bring the gospel to various people groups that wouldn't have heard otherwise. And that really motivates me and inspires me and thinks that's what's possible. So for whatever situation you're in, it might be school, it might be other things, it's good to use the people around you to look at their life, to ask them a bit about what they're finding in it. So that was training tip number one. Where are you looking? Look to people who are running the same race. Training tip number two, I'm calling five-star thinking. One man I knew when we were doing um, triathlon training, he used to, hold, used to have a big gold medal at the end of his bed, so he told us all, and he had a race entrance ticket right next to the medal. And he woke up every morning and he saw that medal and it motivated him to go and do the training and it motivated him to keep being an Ironman. 
He used to call him, like he used to, every photo he posted, hashtag Iron Man, hashtag I'm an Iron Man, hashtag Iron Man's drink this drink or eat this food. Like it was quite funny. The challenge was he wasn't yet an Iron Man. And so I would say to him, you haven't even like run a race. You're doing the beginning one with me, but we're not Iron Men. Like we're not training for that race. And he would say, yeah, but Julie, that's my goal. That's where I want to get to. And if I don't start thinking it about myself and believing it about myself, there's no way I'm ever going to get there. So that's what he would do. And after a while, we started believing it too. We're like, oh man, you're so going to be an Iron Man. It's just inevitable. With that kind of determination, there's no way you won't be. He is now, but he wasn't then. And some of you might say, oh, hang on a minute. That sounds a bit like the power of positive thinking. That sounds a bit like mindfulness, Julie. Are you resorting to your new age days? Let's be honest here. Are you, are you slipping back into that? Well, number one, I'm glad you're thinking for yourself, if that's what you are thinking. Number two, let me tell you, mindfulness was first God's idea. Mm-hmm, truth. In the Old Testament, he said he, met, he taught us meditate on the Lord day and night. What that means is let his ideas ruminate go around, soak into our thinking and become part of our thinking. Psalm 46, verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. There's passages throughout the scriptures that teach us to be mindful on him, to meditate, to be peaceful, to, to attain the mind of Christ in that. <coughs> Sorry, not to attain it, but to, to dwell on those things. And the difference is, he's not teaching us, empty your mind. He's not teaching us, go into your inner chakra and find the universal energy that is there. No, he's saying, use your mind to dwell on the things that bring life. Use your mind to dwell on Jesus Christ. Use your mind to dwell on heavenly things. And in that, we ourselves are transformed. In this letter, he divides people into two categories as the slide will show. One of those are the enemies of the cross of Christ and the other are the friends of God. So the enemies of the cross, he says up front their destiny is destruction. This place is not leading to life. He says, number one, their God is their stomach. That's a bit confusing really, isn't it? Their God is their stomach. But what that means is they're living for fleshly things. They're living for the things, um, it's like their passions, their desires. They've made that their first priority. And it's easy for us to go, oh, those Philippians living for their stomach. But actually, we live in one of the most decadent cities in the whole wide world. We live in a city that has the best art, some of the best theatre. We live in a city where we can have the most exquisite foods really, in the world. Apparently the best coffee in the world. Like there's apparently, apparently the best footy in the world, but I don't know a whole lot about footy, so I won't go into that. But there's not a lot that we can't try and taste and experience in Melbourne. So the warning here is for us as well. Those things are there for us to enjoy. But if we make that our number one, if we put that above knowing Jesus, that's when it gets out of kilter. He goes on, their glory is in their shame, meaning the things they're boasting about are the very things that are preventing them from knowing me. And the final point, their mind is set on earthly things. 
Okay, so let's contrast that to the friends of God. The friends of God, their citizenship is in heaven. They are awaiting a saviour from there, the return of Jesus Christ. And their Lord is no longer themselves, it is Jesus Christ. So in contrast, their mind, our mind, is set on heavenly things. So we're warned here to think about what we're thinking about. When we choose to become a follower of Jesus, we're told that we're given the mind of Christ. It's pretty big, isn't it? That's a pretty phenomenal and large concept. We're given the mind of Christ. And when we choose to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and helps us to begin to think like Christ thinks, both about ourselves and about the world around us. So I'm going to just do some little activities here to sort of show you what I'm talking about. I want to ask, what do you think about yourself? When you look in the mirror, what thoughts go through your mind? When you kind of like, oh, stub your toe and trip. Oh, jolly, silly you, you just tripped on stage, like whatever. You know, what thought goes on in your mind when you do something stupid? What thought goes on on in your mind when you do something good? Whatever those thoughts are, can you imagine Jesus standing right here and saying those same things to you? Because if you can't imagine Jesus saying those things to you, I encourage you to get rid of that thinking. There's no space in our mind for thoughts that aren't from the mind of God for us. I'll give you an example. We'll go forward a bit. When you see this word, next one, what do you think of? A masterpiece. I personally think of some sort of exquisite food, you know, like the stuff you see on MasterChef, kind of like just phenomenal food, really amazing. Every single taste bud will be alive at the same time. It's just a delight to look at, let alone taste. Others might think of um, Vivaldi, the Four Seasons, like there's this classic music, classical music that's just a delight to listen to. Maybe it's a particular dress that you're wearing at prom or uh, the Deb or whatever people do in Victoria. You know, maybe it's like this exquisite dress and you're so thrilled by it. What about if I told you, Ephesians 2 verse 10, God says that you are a masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. So all those things I just said about some other items, God says about you. You are worth travelling the world to see. You are someone he, he delights in. You are someone he enjoys. You are someone he just gets exquisitely excited about how he's made you and who you are. So when you look in the mirror, you can say, you are a masterpiece. And, you know, it's not particularly Aussie, right? Like, we, we might look in the mirror going, yeah, you're doing all right today. It's winter, you know, whatever. Or, eh, not bad. It's been a while since you went to the gym, or maybe that's just my thinking, I don't know. But the point is, he's like, no, he is so countercultural. Not even that. Like, he's like, no, you can look in the mirror. You can speak over yourself. You can say, Kirk, This would be Kirk saying it to himself. Kirk, you are a masterpiece. Or Renee, as she's driving along, I am a masterpiece of God. Because that's speaking scripture over yourself. That's speaking truth over yourself. And it might feel the most ridiculous thing in the world to be doing it. Yet it's what God, it's what we're encouraged to do, to renew our thinking, to be more like his. Now, a friend of mine was suffering a couple of years back. He hated being single, and he really wanted to be a dad. 
but he thought he was getting older, maybe he was missing the chance. And in that time, God encouraged me to buy him some little gifts, actually not buy him, to give him some things that I had, um, these pretty little things, and they were the best things that I owned at the time. He said, give them to him and encourage him to think about heavenly things, to think about the best being still to come, and to stop dwelling on the circumstances around him. And so in that time, um, he said in hindsight it was a prophetic act of encouragement. It really helped him to lift his thinking, to think about what God had said to him. A few years later, um, God did provide him a wife, and she came along and she had eight kids. Eight kids, so it was like instant family. The wedding was an adoption ceremony as well as a marriage ceremony. Now that's not to say seeking Jesus means you know, all of this always happens. But certainly God was working behind the scenes in that, that challenging season in his life. So the third training tip is hang in there. Paul writes, he says, My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, my dear friends. So these people were so precious to him, right? And in that, he says, Stand firm in the Lord always. I'm sure there's been times when everyone in this room has wanted to quit. Maybe something's got too hard. Maybe we kind of just got tired of it. Maybe our faith was wavering. In that time, if we were to look to the latest inspirational poster, what we'd find, thanks, is shoot for the moon. Even if you miss it, you'll find yourself among the stars. Or, next one, Whatever really matters is what you do with what you have. Can you imagine being really down and feeling, oh, I'm struggling a bit here, and that's what someone gives you as your motivational scripture? It's like, oh, thanks, I guess I better do some more. But actually, when, we, when we're in those times, we need to go to the word of God for our encouragement. We need to look to what he says. Because in this case, he says, stand firm, hang in there, stand firm in the Lord always. What that means is regardless of what you're going through, make your goal knowing Jesus more. Cling to him, hold to him, look to him, wait for him. And sometimes that in itself is the most victorious thing you can do because what it's saying is, I know the one, Jesus Christ, who can deliver me, who does hear my prayers, who will make a difference, who is mighty to save in this circumstance. It's a lifestyle of trusting in God. So in conclusion, and in summary, we're told forget what's behind and strive towards what's ahead. Watch and learn from those who are already living like this. Keep your mind on heavenly things and stand firm. In this you'll avoid destruction and be ready for his return, where all things will be transformed into his likeness. I did finish that race several years back and felt that sense of glee of having achieved a goal I'd set myself. But it was a series of little training tips all put together which allowed me to take it through. And these are some training tips that the Apostle Paul gave the Philippians and as a result give us to take and to apply into our lives. Now I'm going to pause for about, I don't know, 30 seconds. I'm going to ask you which training tip are you going to take this week and put into place? I'd encourage you to shut your eyes and think about it. What, out of what was shared today, what are you going to do about that?
And then I'll close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you know us and we know you and that we are on a race towards you. Whether we're sprinting, just starting off, just signed up, running our hearts out or having a little pause but still looking in the right direction of knowing you. God, I pray that you would be ministering to each person here. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be reminding us of your truths and showing us what the next thing is that you'd be asking of us. And give us hearts that say yes to that. And your mind, Lord, both in how we see ourselves, but also in how we perceive our circumstances and the situations and people around us. Thank you, Lord, that we are light in this world and that we shine your light to those around us because of you living in us. What a glorious partnership we're in. I give you praise for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm. 